Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you get your podcasts. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Matt Lombardo Show, part of the Stacking the Box podcast. Please welcome your host, Matt Lombardo. What's going on, everybody? Welcome on into the Matt Lombardo Show right here inside Fansided Stacking the Box podcast feed. Of course, I am Matt Lombardo, Fansided's National NFL Insider. Great to be back after the extended holiday break. A heartfelt thank you to Cole Thompson for filling in last week. A great show. If you haven't heard it yet, go tune in. He had Randy Mueller on previewing some of the big changes coming ahead in this offseason. And a Happy New Year to each and everybody out there. I know that I'm breaking my own rules or rather Larry David's rule as we record this on Thursday, January 6th. Five or six days into the new year, it's time to stop wishing people a happy new year. Am I right? But it's my first time getting to talk to all of you again after the holiday. So a heartfelt Happy New Year to each and every one of you. I truly appreciate everyone who listens, everyone who follows me along on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL, and who reads my work on fansided.com. Really means a lot to have you guys on this journey, and hopefully the year 2022 has much brighter days ahead for all of us. We have a big show ahead, certainly a monster week 18 with some playoff implications. We've learned a lot about some of the top contenders with the postseason looming, and we're going to learn a lot more about the trajectory of several franchises across the NFL as Black Monday is coming screaming at us four days away after Sunday's games are over and done with. A lot of changes coming at the head coaching position for a lot of teams across the league, maybe even as many as 10. We'll get into all of that. Alex Wright, a monster linebacker from UAB, NFL Draft hopeful, will join us a little bit later on in the program. But before we get into all of that, as always, just a little bit of housekeeping for you. If you enjoy the podcast, if you enjoy my work, if you read the column every Wednesday, if you're listening to this podcast right now, please do me a favor. Go ahead in the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker, YouTube, all of your favorite podcast platforms. Subscribe to the Stacking the Box NFL Podcast. You get two great NFL podcasts, really for the price of none. You get Matt Verderam and Mark Carmen every Tuesday on Stacking the Box. And of course, the Matt Lombardo Show hits your podcast platform every Friday. So you get two great football podcasts. And if you really enjoy this one, if you love my analysis, if you like the guests, if you enjoy the commentary, please go ahead and leave a five-star review in the Apple Podcast Store for Stacking the Box and mention the Matt Lombardo Show. It really helps grow the show. Let me know a guest or two you might be interested in hearing from, and I'll go try to get them on. Let me know what you like about the podcast, what you don't like, but leave those five-star reviews. It really helps grow the podcast. And let's just get right into it because one of the big topics du jour this week is the MVP race. And Aaron Rodgers is going to win the MVP. Hands down, no doubt about it, he's been the most dominant quarterback on the best team throughout this season. And it might be Aaron Rodgers' best chance in his career to get his second Super Bowl. And if you read the column a couple of weeks ago, I spoke to Hall of Fame voters about what that would mean for his legacy. And certainly he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. The win-loss record, the touchdown-to-turnover ratio... Everything he's done, he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But if he doesn't get that second ring, it kind of changes how Aaron Rodgers is perceived among the all-time greats. If he gets the second one, you can put him in the Pantheon. And I, I certainly agree with that. So Aaron Rodgers, I think, is a shoe-in mortal lock to win the MVP award. And he probably should, based on what he's done this year. But Joe Burrow, 
Cincinnati Bengals second-year quarterback Joe Burrow should absolutely receive MVP votes. Burrow's in the midst of the second most prolific two-game stretch in the history of the NFL from the quarterback position. The last two weeks, he's just been off the charts good, throwing for 971 yards and eight touchdowns just the past two weeks alone. And the Bengals weren't playing patsies in those games. These are big games anyway in the throes of a playoff hunt, but they beat the Baltimore Ravens. They beat the two-time AFC champion Kansas City Chiefs to win the AFC North title. Those are monster performances in two of the biggest games of the season. Burrow's just been absolutely lights out. Eight touchdowns over the past two games to go with those 971 yards. The only quarterback who's had a better stretch was in 2017. Dak Prescott threw for something like 975 yards. But it's the second-best two-game stretch in league history from a quarterback, and Burrow clearly, we saw it on Sunday afternoon, has a special connection with Jamar Chase, which we knew going back to their time together in LSU, and I spoke to head coaches around the league and executives who said going into the draft that Jamar Chase was earmarked for Cincinnati because Joe Burrow was pounding the table to the coaching staff in the front office to go and get his boy, and Chase went out and showed you exactly why on Sunday afternoon. That was as dominant a performance in the regular season from a wide receiver that I've ever seen in my life. Uh, he is a special talent. He locked up the, the NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year with that performance against the Chiefs, no doubt in my mind when it comes to that. But if you take Joe Burrow out of the equation and you just have Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd and Joe Mixon and all of the weapons, I don't know that the Bengals are winning the AFC North. I don't know that they're in a position to play a home game or two in the AFC playoffs. And I certainly don't know if they're having the kind of season that they've had this year without Joe Burrow leading the charge. And the Bengals aren't going to play any of their starters, at least not Joe Burrow, in the finale. He got banged up on Cincinnati's game-winning field goal drive down near the goal line. So in 16 games, without the benefit of the 17th game, coming off a year where his season was cut short by a torn ACL, Burrow passed for 4,611 yards, 34 touchdowns to just 14 interceptions on a team that won its division. And I know that they have a decent offensive line. I know they have Mixon. I know they have Chase and Boyd and Higgins and all the pieces that we just talked about. But if you take Burrow out of that lineup, do they win eight games? Do they win the AFC North? Do they beat the Baltimore Ravens twice? outscoring them 82-38, to 38. I'll go a step further than that. It feels like everyone over the last couple of weeks is tripping all over themselves trying to figure out who this year's Tampa Bay Buccaneers are, the team that comes out of nowhere, the team that goes on a run in January, the team that nobody expects to go to the Super Bowl, even though they were a wild card last year. Yes, they had to go on the road three times, yes, but I don't know that anybody was betting against Tom Brady, Bruce Arians, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last year, but if you want to look around at the NFL landscape going into the final regular season game. The Bengals have all of the pieces. And I wrote about this a couple weeks ago in the column. If you want to check it out on fansided.com, just search my name and go back a couple weeks. I spoke to coaches and executives of playoff teams about the playoff team they fear the most. And I'm telling you, if I were in that position, if I were a head coach in the AFC, if I were a general manager, I'd have nightmares about playing the Cincinnati Bengals with the brand of football they're playing right now. Because if you just start looking at what it takes to be successful this time of year, they have the star quarterback. Check that off the list. They have the explosive offense. They are averaging 27.8 points per game, top five in the league. 
And if you talk to people inside the NFL, the thing that they fear most in January, the thing that keeps head coaches and general managers and executives up this time of year and has them worried, regardless of how good a team they believe they've built or that they have, it's explosive plays. If you line up against a team that has an offense that gets hot on the right time, on the right day, in the right game, when your defense is having a down day, good luck. Better yet, good night, game over, drive home safely. That's just what's going to happen to you. Start booking your rounds of golf. The Bengals can do all of that, and they've done it against premier competition throughout the course of the season. We'll break it down in a little bit here. But there are some other teams that are in the mix. People talk about the Indianapolis Colts, and they were a favorite in terms of a team mentioned when I spoke to my sources inside the league a couple weeks ago. And sure, their defense is playing lights out, has been all year. Jonathan Taylor, another guy having an MVP caliber season and should get his fair share of MVP votes. He'd probably have mine. He'd probably be in my top two if I had a vote because that's what happens when you rush for 1,700 yards and 18 touchdowns. That's what happens when your offense essentially runs through you. You deserve MVP consideration when you have your team playing at the level the Colts have all year. But I think there's a built-in ceiling above what the Indianapolis Colts can accomplish, and that's because of Carson Wentz. The COVID vaccine thing aside, he tests positive last week, misses a week of practice before the Colts' biggest game of the season, and lays an absolute egg against the Las Vegas Raiders with everything in front of the Colts. They could have been in the mix for home field advantage. They could have been in the mix for winning the AFC South. He throws for 148 yards and a touchdown. That's just not going to get it done. With everything that's on the table for the Colts, everything in front of them, Carson Wentz played his worst game of the year. Honestly, that would frighten me if I were Chris Ballard and I were the Colts. If I were Indianapolis and I were Frank Reich, that would have opened my eyes about Carson Wentz. And I know everything they traded to Philadelphia. I know that they're not going to have a first-round pick this year because of that move. But I'd have second thoughts about Carson Wentz because of how he's handled this season and because of how small he came up against the Vegas Raiders with so much on the line. And over in the NFC, if you've listened to this podcast all year, you know I've been high on the Dallas Cowboys ever since week one. And guess what? I've been dead on right about their defense ever since opening night against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I was right about Micah Parsons. I was right that there was enough talent in that secondary to keep them afloat. And as we enter the season finale, it's the Cowboys' defense that's been punching above its weight. It's the Dallas defense that's been carrying them over the past month of the season because Dak Prescott and that offense have been a a total mess. They're having some sort of identity crisis, and now Michael Gallup is out. As explosive as they are, as prolific as their playmakers are, as dominant as that defense has been, if you're going to have a bad day on offense in the postseason, it's tough to win that way. And I know that the Cowboys have the talent in place. I know they can run the ball when they want to with Zeke and with Tony Pollard. But the way they've played over the past month, the way that they played last week against Arizona, I don't know that they're a team that can make it out of the first round, even playing at home if they match up with a team that can go in and put up a bunch of points. I just don't see it. I don't see Dak Prescott playing his best football of the year at the most important time. I see him playing his worst. Arizona, speaking of the Cardinals, yeah, they went into Dallas last week and they beat the Cowboys, but they almost coughed that game up in the final 10 minutes, and that's just been their MO all year. They have Kyler Murray, but they're banged up. There's no J.J. Watt. There's no DeAndre Hopkins. You can't overstate how much those losses impact what the Cardinals do, and they're vulnerable. I don't know that they make a run. So if I start looking across the landscape of both the NFC and the AFC, 
I don't know that there's a team that checks more boxes than the Cincinnati Bengals do. And they're a team that I believe can make a real run. I would take them almost against anybody on the AFC side of the bracket. And they have some signature wins already on their resume. They knocked off the Ravens twice, which we talked about, scored 80-plus points in their two meetings. They swept the Steelers easily, and they fell in OT by a combined six points to the Packers and the 49ers, two teams that are likely going to be in the postseason in the, NFC, in the NFC, the Packers, the number one seed in the conference. And that game against Green Bay at home, it was a glorified field goal kicking contest late in the fourth quarter and in overtime. Remember that game? The Bengals have gotten better since that point. So watch out for Joe Burrow's Bengals. If there's a team that can be this year's Bucks, I don't know if there's a more capable group right now than Cincinnati. They have all the pieces that you would want. They play the brand of football that you need to play this time of year. And I'm going to be fascinated to see what happens in a very, very wide open AFC. On the other side, we'll chat with UAB linebacker Alex Wright about his pre-draft process, his college career, what it was like to star at a program like UAB over the last four years. Keep it locked right here on the Matt Lombardo Show, inside fan-sided Stack in the Box podcast feed. There's a great new podcast out there called The Blindsided. Plan your work and work your plan. For many athletes, saying such as this can be considered scripture permanent signposts lining the long road of success in sports. For some, the very act of pursuing a career in sports can give a sense of control, a sense of safety, so long as you stick to the plan. That is, until life happens. The kind of life that happens while you're making other plans and breakdowns happen, insecurity happens, panic attacks, PTSD, addiction, sudden life changes, ones that require an athlete to toss aside their well-laid plans and answer the question, what's your next play? Blindsided is a podcast about sports, mental health, and life. Hosted by former NHL goalie Corey Hirsch and psychiatrist Dr. Diane McIntosh, the podcast will share and analyze the moments for a variety of athletes when everything changed for them and what happened when it did. The podcast lets listeners hear these athletes describe moments when mental health became their most important focus in their entire lives. Blindsided dives in deeper. It gets critical, and it allows listeners to leave with an understanding of the different varieties of mental health challenges that people face, why they appear, and how athletes in particular face them down. Blindsided is a sports podcast not only for people who follow sports, but also for those who don't. So check out The Blindsided by our friends at the Players' Tribune. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest-growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back in. Really excited about this conversation with one of the more fascinating NFL draft prospects. He's just declared within the last couple of days. He's UAB edge rusher Alex Wright. You can follow him on Twitter at Alex Wright underscore 16. Alex, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Happy to have you here. And you're coming off a really incredible year. Your tape probably even overshadows your production a little bit. You had six sacks, 45 tackles. But, you know, from your perspective entering the draft, What's the biggest challenge for you coming from a, sc- a small school like UAB? Uh, my biggest challenge is just to make sure I, l- I let the scouts know, let everybody know that just because I came from a small school that I could keep up with guys that went to 
a bigger school, a power five school, you know. Uh, I feel like I could call myself a dog, you know. They're going to find dogs anywhere. They can play if you a dog, they're going to find you anywhere in the country. So I've, I consider myself one of those people. Um, so that's it. I mean, I can't put it in a better way, you know. And and you would be the 15th player drafted coming out of that program. What would that mean to you to hear your name called on draft night, especially if it's early on by Roger Goodell? Uh, it, it, it's a, it would be a blessing, but it will also become a dream come true. But it will also become a dream that it's like I can't wake up from, and I'm kind of glad that I can't wake up. So not only being from UAB where, you know, the program shut down to, you know, finally getting people – drafted last year with my uh former teammate Jordan you know it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a movie it's gonna be a fun time not only for me my family but uh my teammates back at UA my old teammates back at UAB the coaches and the university so I can't wait what was that like for you to to go to a program that had been shut down and you're part of the you're part of the group that reinvigorates and brings that program back to life. What was that experience like? Because not many players have gone through that sort of a situation. I mean, it's kind of, it was kind of like an eye opener at first, cause you know, I'm stepping into something that's not been established yet to, you know, people that get people to open their eyes, you know? So when the program came back, it was just like, you know, everybody's happy it came back, but, we're happy it's came back, but we still got something to prove, you know. Right. We're not coming back just because, you know, people love football. That That's one of those reasons that they came back. But it's just the fact that in the South, people love the sport of football. People love UAB, you know, and it was heartbreaking, you know. And just to be a part of something, you know, that, that gave me goosebumps, you know. Not only to add my name into history, but, you know, continue the legacy that, was brought on before me because when I first came up there, they graduated 37, 37 seniors. So I had to play right away. So my coach, uh, Coach Gentry, he he groomed me well. He he sent me to the side and was like, look, this is what's going to have to happen. And he told me that throughout recruitment. And not only that I wanted to play right away, but I knew that was the coach that was going to take me to the higher heights and make me a better version of myself throughout uh, high school and on to college. So not only it was – not only was an eye opener, but it was also a a good feeling to be grown up and be like groomed into something that's that's growing and growing and growing. And UAB is still growing, growing and growing. You know, so. And you know, watching you on Saturdays and checking out some of your film over the last couple of days, getting ready for our conversation, I meant what I said when we opened up the interview. I think you're one of the more fascinating prospects out there. You're six foot seven, so that's going to give you a size advantage over some tackles. And you know, I'm really curious for you as a player, how do you use that to give you an edge, especially with that wingspan of yours when you're going up against offensive tackles? Um, I mean, I mean, my length is like that's one of those pros. That's something that you can't teach a player from a coach uh, coach perspective. So I try to use that as the best of my ability. You know, my coach will even tell me, you know, we can't coach that. If you right. use that, if you coach that to the best, if you if you use that and use that how you are supposed to use that, can't nobody stop you. So from that point on, when he told me that, that built the confidence level. You know, from guys struggling, tackle struggling. You know, there. They're big and tall, but their arms are just not as long as mine. And, you know, seeing them struggle because – seeing them struggle against me because I'm using my length and, you know, 
my speed so well, it's like, oh, they get frustrated. Now they off their game, and it just boosts my confidence a little more, a little more, a little more. And, you know, it's fun. It's funny sometimes because uh, tackles throughout the games, they're man, your arms are so long. Like, you like, okay. And I was so like, hear I mean, about it on game day then. I mean, these guys, these guys pointed out to you when you're going up against them then. So it's like, so it's like, I mean, what am I supposed to, I mean, God bless me, you know? So I was just, you know, I'm just happy that I'm in a situation that people would kill to be in. So I'm not the type to take that for granted when it comes to my body type and my body athleticism. So I try to make that, the, make that a decision to get better every day, you know, taking, I'm starting not to take no days off from doing certain things at home and training. So the better off my body is with my arms and stuff, the better off, like I would be in the future. So. And, and versatility is so big in today's NFL. You see, you know, a guy like Micah Parsons drafted to be an inside linebacker was an all American. They move him to edge rusher, which is kind of his natural position. And you see him maybe defensive player of the year, I'm watching you, they line you up inside, which at your size and with that wingspan, a little interesting. And you picked up a sack on that play that I saw for you. How much is your versatility going to help you at the next level, do you think? I feel like it's going gonna, it's gonna to help me a lot because not only I get the best of both worlds from rushing at a edge and rushing at a three set, there was even sometimes during the season where I would rush from the nose. So wow. it, it was it was not only it was a, a working experience for me, but it was a fun experience for me. I rather the fun fact about me is I like rushing from a three tape more than rushing from outside. So why it was, it was, what, what gives it was, you the edge from the three tech? Less space. Uh, I get to make moves quicker. The distance from the quarterback is quicker. I rather have a straight shot than having bend a lot more. Not taking away from my bending, but, you know, straight shot. He has no choice but to, you know, either eat it or throw it away or try to get out the best he can. You know, if it's if I'm out on the edge, he could easily, you know, run the opposite way, you know. And that, that happened a lot of times on uh, during the where I got frustrated because, you know, I'm this close to a sack and he's put rushing out the other side of the pocket and throwing it away. So I feel like I have a I have an edge and I have an extra a extra a extra corner compared to you know coming into the outside where I could trap me and myself because you know you already know you got the edges coming and collapse in the pocket. So now he has no choice but to come to me. So so I like I like the space. I like the distance between the quarterback. I like the moves I can use because you know it's 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 difficult because before it's difficult for guards because guards and centers because they have no space to work with. I'm on them like that. Right. But if it was a it was a tackle, then you know they could kick stuff. They have space. They gotta I gotta come to them stuff like that. No, it's not like that on the inside. So that's why I like rushing from the three. I like rushing from the nose. I like rushing from. It, it's just it's a lot. It's like a, a whole other world outside of being an edge rusher. And you kind of have the best of both worlds there, right? Because you hear Tom Brady and these quarterbacks talk about how disruptive A-gap pressure is, how much they hate pressure up the middle. You can either be the guy that provides that pressure or you're at the right place at the right time when the edges collapse the pressure and he falls into your lap. Exactly. But I didn't, it was to the point where I didn't like, I didn't even get frustrated when I flushed my pocket because, you know, that helped my teammates out, the DBs back there, that it hasn't changed the whole wide receiver plans. Now they're not on routes anymore. They gotta find their way to the ball. And nine times out of ten, 
uh, the better I get pressure on, the better it's, it disrupts the whole entire play. So now they got to throw it out the window. He got to throw it away. Or if he finds somebody downfield, then I know my DBs is going to cover their butts off and get to the ball. So that's how I looked at it. That's how I would love being the sack. Yes, of course. But, I mean, disrupting the play, I count that as a stack just because of what's going on. A lot of coaches I mean, think the same way, too. You know, I talk to defensive coordinators all the time, and you hear defensive coordinators at press conferences. They say the same thing all the time, that just because it might not show up in the stat sheet doesn't mean that you weren't productive that day. So I, I totally get it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly how I looked at it because it was hard. It was hard those first those first three games getting the sack, actually, like because they was flushing in and out the pocket. And, you know, they was just rushing. I'm having to, having to chase after them. I'm not getting my hands on them. So it was kind of hard, but, I mean, I'm glad to know that I'm a team player. I don't I don't worry about myself before my team. Uh, so I don't trip. I know I had times to come to the sideline. They'd be like, Alex, just, just you, you, you right there. Just one more, one more. I was like, shoot. I mean, I got pressure on him. He threw a pick. I'm happy for him. So I'm happy. <laughs> That's my guy. So. So I know I know my time is coming. That's his time. We're gonna celebrate his time. You get you get what I'm saying? So yeah, I, I've I always it. been a team player. I always been a team player. So that's how I, that's how I was throughout the season. You know, I was never about I was never about myself. Uh no matter how many accolades come, I always stay humble, I always stay motivated, and I stay I always stay working. That's awesome. And you know, you guys played Georgia earlier this year. So you're coming from Conference USA, and now you're up against an SEC school, maybe the best offensive line in football. What was that experience like for you going up against that offensive line? What did you learn about yourself in that game? Basically, I had to prove I had to prove to like not only the people that I was watching, but you know, people, the scouts and stuff that, you know, like I said, I could we could play against anybody, you know, D line wise. It may not look like, you know, off the score of the game and stuff like that, but you know. Run-wise, we I feel like we stuffed them pretty good at times, you know. So I feel like coming off of that game, my confidence level was kind of shaky at times. But the more I watched the film, was like, oh, I could have did this. Okay, it, uh, they're not they're not spe- anything spectacular about it. They work hard. Their technique sound. They're fundamentally sound. But there's some things I could have did, you know, that uh, that could have helped me out a little bit more. So at that point throughout the season, I you know it's like I use that as a confidence booster against like certain uh against teams after that. So it was like shoot, in my mind, I'm like, shoot, I played Georgia. I played Georgia O line. Y'all ain't got nothing on them. <laughs> so if I know I could beat Georgia O line, I for sure could beat y'all O line. But it's not off no, but I wasn't even thinking about it as a cocky type of statement. But that's just a statement like I don't play motivator for you. It motivated yeah, you to be yeah. able to do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like we played we played the number one team in the nation at the time. So that was that was a booster for me. So that's how that's that's how I went about it throughout the whole season. Whenever we played, uh that confidence level got higher. And I mean it got higher, 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 higher. And it was to the point where it never turned into being cocky. It was just a motivating standpoint for me. And that was a level for me that I had to take for myself. And I was like, this is what you got to do. You know what to do. Don't be scared to throw it. Trust the moves. Do this and that. And everything is going to work out. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, because it's not that often you get to pick the brain of somebody who played one of the two teams in the national championship game. What's your scouting report of the Bulldogs going into to next week? 
If they play like if they defense play like they played against Michigan, the crazy part is I, I have I have them coming out with the dub. I know Bama beat them in the SEC championship game, but the thing is, with one of those teams, with with either one of those teams, it's hard it's hard to win twice in a row with them. So yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be a dog fight. Uh, they gonna they I'm pretty sure like any other team would. They watch the film. They made corrections. They know what's coming now. Uh, and all it is, and the sad part about Bama thing is, you know, they got injury. You know, John Metry is out. Uh, you know. Brian, Brian Robinson, he's finally getting back to himself. That's what it looked like against um, Cincy, where you know he battled with injuries throughout the season and stuff yep. like that. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a dog fight. It's gonna be a war, and I'm, I'm gonna be glued to the TV after training. I can't wait. It's gonna be a good game. Get yourself some wings. Get yourself some uh, a, a nice spread after that workout. You know, back to you personally for a second, Alex. Who's the pass rusher or pass rushers in the NFL that you've kind of patterned your game after? That if you could pick this guy's move or this guy's explosiveness that you try to emulate going into this draft process. Uh, some stuff I would try to I would try to mimic some stuff off of my body type, body, uh, my body size. So you know, I would look at certain things uh, when it came to. Calais Campbell or Rick Armstead or DeForest Buckner or um, DeMarcus Ware or just just that just that group of those that was the same body group. type of me. So and I I even come I even uh I even sometimes get a glimpse of Cam Jordan sometimes. I had a phase where I would watch Cam Jordan uh in the film like during extra film and see the moves he throws and stuff like that. And then I would also pay attention to like Von Miller's like bending. And flexibility, and the way how he can has uh, the way he has a low a low center of gravity to get to the quarterback. So I try to fit all of those into one, so that way I can have a have a a variety of pass rush moves, power moves, uh, speed moves, uh, run converting two pass move. It's just uh, whatever I whatever I find is best, and I will even you know go back to the the old the. the the old football days where I would look at Michael Strahan, uh, Lawrence Taylor, uh, I can't think of his name, um, Kevin, Kevin Green, I think his name, Kevin Green. So it was, it was just basically, you know, people that I just find that was my, my body type and I try yeah. to work the best with them. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And your best football is in front of you from, from everything I've seen and from people that I've talked to, there's, there's some optimism about you. You know what? What gives you the most confidence, and what do you need to do to reach your ceiling as a player? Do you think? Um, just, just self reflect. You know, that's that's my thing. I didn't, I didn't been through a lot. I didn't been through a lot growing up. I, I always been. I was one of those kids at first where I would be. I would get that that iffy feeling about from certain people. You know, is he going to do this? Is he going to be able to do that? You know, so it's like what Devontae Smith said in his Heisman, uh, in his Heisman speech. You know, they people are going to doubt you just because of who you are, what you look like, what you feel like. So I use that as ammunition, and I use that as motivation to to be the best person that I could be. And to this point, you know, I'm starting to turn. I'm starting to turn heads now. You know, yeah. But it's a good time I had to start. To turn, I, exactly. I haven't turned everybody heads to this point to wake up like, yeah, I'm Alex Wright, and I'm not only from UAB, but I can be the best player to come from UAB. I can be the best player 
in the NFL, you know, if God lets me do that. So it's just a self-reflect thing from coming from where I'm from because it's hard to make it out. It's yeah. hard. It's, so and I even made a promise to myself that I'm not going to be a statistic. I'm not going to be uh, somebody that goes off and come back because where I'm from, the city, that the city is a place where people go off. You don't come back to them. You don't come back to that city. So, and I've seen many people. I've seen many people have the opportunity to go off and become more, but the mindset of being small minded from a small town has them trapped. So, you know, I made a promise to myself. I said, I can't. I can't be one of those people. I can't. I can't do that. I got too many people looking up to me. I got kids looking up to me. I got people I don't know that's looking up to me that would text me every now and then and say, "We're supporting you. We got your back, one hundred percent." So. That 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 lets me know right there, not only that I know people that's supporting me, people that I don't know is supporting me. So that's it was a big eye opening. It, it gave me a big confidence feeling, and it also made me like really emotional because it's 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 really hard, and people don't understand that. Yeah, no, I get it now. It's, I'm impressed. I mean, just just your mentality as as a football player, as a teammate, as a man. I'm impressed, and I think you're going to turn a lot of heads in meeting rooms and along those lines. Presumably, you're going to be in Indianapolis for the combine. You, your training schedule is going to pick up pretty significantly here. You're going to have meetings and Zooms with people a lot more important than a, a guy who hosts a podcast and writes a column every week, GMs, coaches, the like. What's the big picture takeaway that you want those GMs and those coaches to come away with after their conversation with you? I want them to be. I want them to tell to tell each other that Alex Wright is a ball player. He's an NFL player coming from college. You know, before I even signed a contract, he does all the little things right. He's a he's a big person at heart. He's not about himself. He he looks back at other people. He takes care of the major things that needs to be done. He also takes care of the minor things, the minor thing that needs to be done. Uh, he's just a good person all around. You know, so. Alex, best of luck to you, man. Really appreciate you taking the time. Look forward to talking to you further up the road. Wish you the best on this journey, and people can go ahead and follow you on Twitter at AlexWright underscore 16. Alex Wright, best of luck in the draft. We'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Thank you. Terrific stuff there from Alex Wright. And obviously, when you look at the NFL draft, it all comes down to the measurables this time of year, right? If if you're 6'7 and 270 and you run a decent 40 and you have a big showing at your pro day and you blow the scouts and the coaches away during these pre-draft workouts, you're going to rise up draft boards. And I look at a kid like Alex Wright with his measurables, his tape, his versatility, his best football's ahead of him. And I'm not sure what kind of player he's going to be at the NFL level. I think he's going to be a fun project to watch his career unfold. But I'll tell you this, from that conversation, he's going to be a heck of a teammate and he's going to be really popular coming out of meeting rooms. And I think there might be some scouts and coaches who pound the table for him come draft night once they get around him. On the other side... We'll talk about some coaches who might not have that opportunity come draft night because they might be on the way out on Black Monday. Keep it right here on the Matt Lombardo Show. Inside Fansided Stacked in the Box podcast feed. 
Hey guys, want to tell you about my good friends at ZipChair. I was in the market for a new office chair, and if you've seen the new home office setup I tweeted a few photos of, I'm pumped up about the TV setup, my brand new desk, but maybe my favorite aspect of the whole thing is my ZipChair Expression Gaming Chair. I have the Penn State Expression Gaming Chair, and it's one of the more comfortable chairs I've ever sat in. It doesn't matter if I'm watching six hours of football on an NFL Sunday, or sitting at my desk hosting the podcast and writing the column for hours on end, the lumbar support is so close clutch and I don't get up feeling tired, stiff, or anything like that thanks to its ergonomic design. The coolest part is thanks to their Xzipit system, you can swap out the logos pretty effortlessly. With NFL, NBA, college sports, and much more, there's a chair for every sports fan. Check them out and get your own by going to zipchair.com slash discount slash Lombardo 10. That's zipchair.com slash discount slash Lombardo 10. You won't be disappointed. Welcome back in. Really enjoyed the conversation with UAB outside linebacker Alex Wright. And as his NFL journey begins, several head coaches around the NFL are going to have their NFL journeys, at least with their current teams, come to an end on Monday morning. Black Monday across the NFL. And maybe even before that, you look around the landscape, there is going to be change. Matt Nagy's last game is Sunday against the Vikings. I think that's all but guaranteed at this point. Who knows if the Bears are even going to wait until Monday to pull the rug out from underneath Matt Nagy and move on, rip off the Band-Aid, and bring in a new coaching staff to help develop Justin Fields and that offense and really try to get back into the mix in the NFC North. But it should really also be the last game for his opponent in that game, Mike Zimmer and the Minnesota Vikings, because there might not be a more polished scapegoat creator than Mike Zimmer in the entire league. And there might not be a coach who's underachieved more than Mike Zimmer. The Vikings are a mess right now. Who knows what you do with Kirk Cousins? Who knows what happens at quarterback this offseason? I do think there's going to be trade interest. I do think that the Vikings are going to try to move on and go in a different direction at quarterback. But I'd have to think this is the end of the line for Zimmer finally after going 71-56 and 56, but with just one winning season since 2018. And of course in 2017 they went to the NFC title game and lost to the Eagles. But those aren't the only two coaches who might be on the way out. There's Vic Fan Angio in Denver, who I don't think he really had much of a chance this season. They're kind of in quarterback purgatory with Drew Locke never really developing and the injuries to Teddy Bridgewater and the fact that Bridgewater went healthy is probably a middle-of-the-road quarterback as it is. Von Miller was dealt to the Rams at the trade deadline. Bradley Chubb got hurt. But Fangio's on his way out, and that's probably the worst-kept secret in the NFL right now. And I've got to think, i got to believe there's a pretty good chance Pete Carroll is gone as well, whether it's of his own accord and he just resigns and retires or the Seahawks decide it's time to move on. It was a hell of a run. He won the Seahawks' the Super Bowl, but if there's anyone who watched Seattle the last couple of years, it's time. The Pete Carroll experience has run thin, and when you talk to people who have been through there in Seattle, it really is Patriot Way Northwest. And when you aren't getting results, when you aren't winning, Guys start to tune you out a little bit. The message starts to wear thin just a little bit. Russell Wilson constantly wanting out probably can't help matters either. But at age 70, with all that he's accomplished up there, with the fact that he has the persona and the mentality to be a really good TV analyst if he decides to go that route, I think there's a mutual parting of the ways that goes on between Seattle and Pete Carroll. So don't be surprised if Pete Carroll coaches his last game on the Seahawks sideline this weekend. So right there off the top of my head, there's three or four teams that are moving on 
from their head coaches for more jobs that are coming open this week, in addition to the Jaguars and Raiders who are already beginning their coaching search. The Jaguars might have as many as 10 names on their list of candidates. They're already beginning to request interviews, line up interviews. I think Doug Peterson is a great fit there. Wouldn't surprise me if he winds up as the Jaguars' next head coach. He has the temperament for the market. He has the ability to develop young quarterbacks, a track record of doing that to a degree with Carson Wentz. He has a Super Bowl ring on his finger. But in addition to Jacksonville, you also have the Raiders. And again, a name that keeps coming up over the last couple of weeks is somebody who could be on a one-way street to the unemployment line is Joe Judge. But I don't think Joe Judge gets fired. I can't imagine after being the, given the chance to have a clean sweep two years ago that John Merrill would decide that now's the time to blow out both Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge and have then three consecutive head coaches who last two years or fewer, dating back to Ben McAdoo getting fired in week 17 of 2017, to Pat Shermer being fired after two years at the end of the 2019 season, and now leading up to Joe Judge and all of the issues that the Giants have right now. They're a mess both on the field and in a lot of ways off of it, I do think Dave Gettleman is gone one way or the other. Either he retires and he's allowed to bow out, quote-unquote, gracefully from a really disappointing and somewhat disastrous tenure as Giants general manager, or he's fired one way or the other. I think there's a new general manager in New York. I think it's unavoidable at this point. Who knows about Joe Judge? It's been a really bad month for Joe Judge. I just think that he's well-regarded enough by John Mara to be back. But let's say those are the six jobs. You have the four we just talked about, you have the Jaguars, you have the Raiders, and you have some really interesting reporting coming out from Bruce Feldman this week that suggested Jim Harbaugh may leave the University of Michigan for the NFL, which to me, this screams a leverage play. Jim Harbaugh just led the Wolverines to the college football playoff for the first time. He looks around. He sees what's happening even in his own conference in the Big Ten. Michigan State backs up the truck to Mel Tucker. Penn State signs James Franklin to a 10-year deal. It wouldn't shock me one bit if Jim Harbaugh spoke to his agent and said, look at those two contracts. Look at what Penn State gave James Franklin. Look what Michigan State gave Mel Tucker. Look how they got it. James Franklin was linked all year dating back to the Auburn game back in week three of this season to the USC job, to the LSU job. He's been mentioned in the past in the Texas A&M vacancies when that job has come open. Mel Tucker linked to LSU down the stretch of this season. Both those schools took care of their guy. Both those schools added a couple of zeros to their paychecks. And it wouldn't shock me one bit if Jim Harbaugh is making that kind of a leverage play. But, let, you know, let's play the game a little bit. Okay, fine. Let's game this out to see exactly what makes sense for Jim Harbaugh on the NFL landscape. If this is, in fact legitimate that he might leave the University of Michigan after this season. There's a couple of jobs, only two in my opinion, that make a lot of sense for Jim Harbaugh in the NFL right now. They're the Chicago Bears and the Las Vegas Raiders. We'll start in Chicago. Harbaugh, of course, played quarterback there. Justin Fields is the quarterback there. First round pick, a quarterback who Harbaugh was intimately familiar with, having played him the last two years at Ohio State. Maybe you convince Allen Robinson to re-sign. There's some pieces on defense, of course, with Khalil Mack. It's a heritage franchise in a division that has the Detroit Lions and the Minnesota Vikings both floundering. There's opportunity there. And there's probably some allure for Harbaugh, not necessarily to bail on his alma mater, but to leave Ann Arbor, to go to Chicago, 
to turn around that franchise and rebuild one of the crown jewels of the NFL, the Chicago Bears, with some really promising and interesting young talent. But if Harbaugh does leave, I think the Raiders are the spot that makes the most sense. It's Vegas. You talk to people inside the league. Hell, if you watch Michigan on Saturdays, you don't need an expert opinion on this. Jim Harbaugh is largely all flash, very little substance. He is what he is. He's a caricature. He's a character. And that's what sells in Las Vegas. And he has the track record of leading the San Francisco 49ers to a Super Bowl. Yes, he lost to his brother, but now he's in the rarefied air of going to a Super Bowl and going to the college football playoff. You can put that on a marquee in Las Vegas. You look at the Raiders and what they're up against with it basically being a road game in Allegiant Stadium every single week. When you look across the parking lot at the T-Mobile Arena and what the Vegas Golden Knights are doing, and it's a show. It is entertainment at its best, and they have built in a very short time. Winning the Stanley Cup helps, for sure. But they've built in a very short time in Las Vegas a fan base for the Knights that rivals many fan bases across the NFL. You can lay the foundation for that sort of fan base with Jim Harbaugh. I know they tried with John Gruden that, of course, that blew up in their face for many reasons. But you look at the Raiders, they're in need of a culture change. They're in need of a coach who at least has the perception of somebody who's going to come in and kick ass and take no prisoners. And I think that when you look at Jim Harbaugh, that's at least the image that he projects. It's an amazing place to live. There's no pressure. It's warm and sunny every single day of the year. You can play golf any time of the year. It's a destination for fans. And given the fact that there's that relationship existing between Jim Harbaugh and Mark Davis, I think the Raiders are a team to watch for Jim Harbaugh if he winds up leaving Michigan, which I don't even know that he does. But Vegas certainly makes a lot of sense. But in addition to Jim Harbaugh being one of the more fascinating names on the coaching carousel, a couple other names to watch. Giants defensive coordinator Patrick Graham, when he met the media for the final time this regular season on Thursday, he sounded a lot like a guy who last year turned down the opportunity to interview with the New York Jets, removed his name from the hat, from the running for head coaching jobs. He came out and said point blank that it's about becoming a head coach. He sounds like a guy who's ready to go out and lead his own program. And here's the thing about Patrick Graham. He's going to have opportunities. Number one, the Giants defense, say what you will about their lack of productivity. It's been a year where their secondary over the second half of the season has been a total mess due to COVID. He lost Jabril Peppers in the first half of the season. He lost Blake Martinez in the first half of the season. And he gets results. And the one thing about Patrick Graham, I had an executive text me this on Thursday afternoon, that he's a guy you love his makeup, you love his background, and the fact that he's so adaptive in terms of scheme and crafting his scheme around the personnel that he has at his disposal every week, whether it's based on injuries, whether it's based on the opponent, whatever the case may be. His adaptability is what's going to make him a successful head coach. And I think the executive is right about that. I think those are all big-time selling points for Patrick Graham. And I think that he's going to wind up on a lot of teams' shortlists over the next couple of weeks. Another name, Jim Caldwell. To me, if the Jacksonville Jaguars can interview Jim Caldwell, they shouldn't let him leave Duval without a contract. He's the perfect coach to mentor Trevor Lawrence. He has the track record. He has the success. He's been a head coach before. I think it's time he has the opportunity with 
some really fascinating young talent and a lot of resources to get that opportunity again. A couple other names, Byron Lefkowitz, Todd Bowles, they're going to get jobs. I don't care where it is, they're going to get opportunities based on the success of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers over the last couple of years. And in terms of Todd Bowles, I think the league understands what he was up against when he was the head coach of the Jets and in a lot of ways was set up to fail. Brian Dabble, Leslie Frazier, they're probably both going to get looks as well. That's what happens when you're as successful as the Buffalo Bills have been over the last couple of years. And if they go on a lengthy playoff run, it's only going to bolster their chances. I, both, I think they both wind up getting a lot of interest and ultimately probably both wind up getting hired. So that's about all the time we have today. It was a really fun show. Thanks to Alex Wright for dropping by. Best of luck to him in his NFL draft journey. Thanks, as always, to Fanside. It's Cole Thompson. He is instrumental each and every week in getting this podcast up and running. Again, if you enjoy the show, please subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker, to Stacking the Box. Leave a five-star review for Stacking the Box, mentioning the Matt Lombardo Show. You can follow me on Twitter, at Matt Lombardo NFL. Enjoy Sunday's games. Enjoy this week. And next week, we're going to have postseason football to talk about. I'm Matt Lombardo. I'll talk to you then.